Hello and welcome to episode yeah. 20, 27 of Q&A Quest. Yeah. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Apps, aka Wheels, and with me, as usual... Uh, as always, David McBurney, Fanboy Master, whatever, nomen, whatever cognomen you wish to give me. And we are here fresh off a beat-filled episode. Yeah, no, that was... Uh... Uh, that was the episode we all deserved. Yes. <laughs> so especially beat. <laughs> uh, so oh, those are always. So this one, will, <laughs> this one will probably be relatively short. At, uh, which I'm pretty sure the the last. It's few times, funny when you believe that. Yeah, the last few times I've said that, I'm pretty sure it's been like an hour and a half or more. Uh, if nothing else, it will be more sedate. Yes. Also, because wheels refuse to declare an armistice and not play Hearthstone while recording, I am booting up Mupen64 to play some Super Robot Wars. That's fair. Alright, well, before we get into any actual questions, uh, I know you've been wanting to do this for a while, so I think we should talk a little Dark Souls 3. Even though oh, we don't man. have an official question, because that is a game. I'm just about done with it, actually. Nice. I am not, but I'm also a wizard, uh, which... Remotely. Last I checked, you were in a swamp. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, freaking um, wizards not as good it. in this game. Freaking love it. <laughs> yeah, as you deserve. Couldn't defeat a wizard robe. You don't deserve to be a wizard. Well, I had the same problem in two with any uh, bosses that were uh, strong against magic. It's just difficult. Yeah, no, the the best part is that that frickin' wizard robe you were fighting, like, if you're, like, physical, he went down on, like, ten hits. <laughs> <laughs> like, he has no physical defense at all, and his entire defense is to teleport away, which he's not super great at. Yeah, I co-opted him with another wizard, and that was not easy. That sounds like... I, I did every boss solo, like, that's just how I roll. Hey, that's my line. Yeah, you know, I was taking it from you so that you wouldn't have the chance to. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is uh, definitely a good, good Dark Souls. Um, you know, I kept seeing beforehand lots about yeah, oh, got far learned lots in Bloodborne, or learned a lot from Bloodborne. I don't see a huge ton of Bloodborne in this game. Definitely feels like a Dark Souls proper. With some There's touches definitely from Bloodborne. Bloodborne DNA in it. Sure. The level design has more in common with Bloodborne's, and it's just generally faster, which is something I didn't even really notice until I was showing a friend Dark Souls 1 about a week <laughs> after starting Dark Souls 3, and it was like, wow, this feels weird and a little hard to get used to again. Yeah, I mean, it, Dark Souls 1, even compared to Demon Souls, was a little on the slow side, but I don't. I don't even really want to call it slow, since it is like an action RPG. It's, it's more like deliberate. Yeah, that's that's a good word. You have you had to learn the timing of things. Uh... And like each Dark Souls has had, had its own timing. Like Dark Souls Two doesn't feel anything like Dark Souls One no. in that ter- in that sense. But yeah, I'm taking. I've I've taken to Dark Souls Three a lot more than Dark Souls Two. Uh, I I never really got past like a Lord Soul in Dark Souls 2. 
That's a shame. Game just never. Yeah, it didn't click this for some people. Like I really want to give it another shot now. Like I, I've been thinking of like when Scholar of the First Sin hits twenty bucks, I'm gonna grab it and give it another real go. But you should. That's even a uh, that's a a better version of uh, the game. Even so. yeah, like like there are some things in three that are sort of under the hood changes that reflect more on how Dark Souls one and Bloodborne do things than how Dark Souls two do does, and I appreciate them. Like in Dark Souls two, what I noticed a lot was that kiting enemies was basically impossible. Uh, like, like in Dark Souls 2, there's a lot of enemies where, like, if an associated enemy gets alerted, you're you're done. Like, you don't get to <laughs> like those those other enemies. If if an enemy in that group gets alerted, the rest are automatically alerted. You cannot uh, drag them off one by one. But uh, Dark Souls 3 like has a much more Dark Souls one style AI where if you drag off one enemy. The others will not break ranks just to go. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, it's it's it seems like a minor thing, and it kind of is, but at the same time, it really affects how you play it, and I appreciate that it's bad. Sure. Well, Scholar of the First Sin really changed up the enemy groupings a bit, and in some cases, yeah, I've heard that it fixed those, which is part of why I want to try them. Yeah. Um. I mean, in general, yeah, I really love Dark Souls too. It's just, uh, you know, I think a lot of people com- complain because going from Dark Souls 1, which had this really cool, cohesive world, it feels a bit more scattershot. But to me, I really like the variety of the areas, and uh, it did have a bit of, I don't really want to say, like, true openness to it, since it was kind of just different linear paths you basically had lanes that you yeah. went down but it, it felt like there was a you had a lot of leeway in terms of where you, where you went to go next especially in scholar of the first sin since you've got the dlc built in there even though i'm not really a fan of what i've you have DLC. no business fighting those things until late in the game yeah <laughs> like uh, those are late game dlcs and meant to be oh you you heard about the fact that dark souls 3's dlcs have some degree of detail Tales about them now? No. They are fall of this year and early next year. That's all we know about them. Oh, that's interesting. Well, they're they're usually so they'll probably really... be substantial. Yeah, they're they're usually really good. Um, you know, you look back at the the DLC in the original Dark Souls, which we weren't even supposed to get, and yeah, Glorious of the Abyss was always good, and still funny, regardless how... of what anyone thought about. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's just kind of funny how um, they pretty much had to hack the DLC into the first game. Because <laughs> it was kind of in a weird yeah, like spot. That... Yeah, well that DLC, DLC being hard to find in Dark Souls is kind of just fitting of what Dark Souls was always attempting, where it was just like, something shouldn't be in the world just to be there. Like yeah. it always needs to have like a weird explanation for what it's doing there. Or at least it should imply a question about why it's there. Yeah. And, like, if nothing else, like, I'm sure plenty of people who had versions that had that DLC probably never found it. It's true. I mean, I think it tells you, I think there was, like, a description when you bought the DLC that told you where to get it, but otherwise, I mean, how the hell you can yeah. find it? <laughs> like, it's, it's so obtuse. It's behind something 
something that you normally wouldn't want to bother fighting, and there's no real reason to if you don't have a DLC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, by, by all accounts, the Lost Crown trilogy, as it was called, was generally considered to be, like, some of the best content that Dark Souls 2 had, so I'm excited for what Dark Souls 3 brings along. <laughs> and while I still haven't gotten around to it, Bloodborne the Old Hunters has a good rep- reputation as well. Yeah, I still need to finish Bloodborne itself. You never even got Logarius's wheel. I know. I I, I need. I, I have... Like it was a weapon made for you. Yeah, that that has to get done. It's like <laughs> it needs to happen. Logarius's wheel. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm really big on Dark Souls Three. I would say having being right near the end that it's probably my favorite of the three. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And I say that as someone that, like, it, it is arguably more linear than 2. But yeah, the level design so. philosophy is so different. Like, the level design philosophy of how it goes about things is so different. Yeah, and there's some interesting levels um, in there so far. And um, some views. Time of, for swaps. Yeah, <laughs> some views at the beginning where it's like, oh, am, am I playing Castlevania? Like the first, the first, like there, there is a point where you see a re- the first really big open vista, and it's like you're not quite sure how much of that you're exploring. You're exploring all of it. <laughs> like everything, like it, it might not be as open as Dark Souls One, but it does have that level of world cohesion. Where like, if your problem with Dark Souls Two was like that the map didn't fit together in a way that made sense, which I, I you know, it's not a huge thing for me, although it does make me a little sad. But Dark Souls Three, like if like everything you see has like a coherent arrangement about where it fits in the world. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's seriously a view at the beginning where you're like, is that is that Castlevania? Because <laughs> it, it looks really <laughs> similar. Uh, yeah. But that's. I don't want to say too many of the like a- actual area names because you know, but like there's a lot of amazing stuff in there. Yeah. And it's also got a bunch of uh, just like it, you know, it it pays back for what you've put into Dark Souls in the past. So yeah, I recommend it. A plus. Yeah, I'm trying to. There think. are things you can stab, and it doesn't pay to be a filthy wizard. <laughs> yeah, I should probably restart as a melee class, but I don't want to. I don't want to. You don't have to. Like, It's not like you can't play as a wizard, it's just that it takes longer to get good. Yeah. Like, like for, the, for those wondering, like, and those big into, like, min-maxing stats, uh, sorcery, like, intelligence and faith soft cap at 60 and take longer to start really giving stat gains. I think the bigger issue for me early on is just that um, the way they changed, uh, basically switched magic from like having a set stock of certain spells to uh, to like actual like MP again. Yeah. Which uh, just pour it for just a lot all of your Estus flasks into Ash and Estus. Yeah, yeah. It's nice they added like a spell Estus flask to go along with that. It's just that. For starters, it was nice having 
like knowing exactly how much of each spell you had to use, whereas now it's a bit more obtuse and you really not 100% clear on how many spell uses you have, so this makes things a little more difficult. Yeah, there's a, it's, it's a it's a much more fine balancing act. I don't remember what stat actually raises FP because I don't think I've ever put a point into it. <laughs> uh, like like weapons do get skills that you know they're weapon skills and they 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 do draw from that same bar, but like those weapon skills are almost never useful enough to justify putting a lot of like Ash and Estus allotments. Because like, what you get are you start out with four Estus flasks, and you can continue getting more of them if you find Estus shards, like in Dark Souls Two. But like, if you run like, you can allot how many of them are for health Estus and how many are for magic Estus. And yeah. so like, for for someone like me, one Ash and Estus is actually probably more than enough. Especially because a lot of weapon arts can be used to lesser effectiveness without uh, any FP at all. Weapon arts also have the benefit of, like, if you if you don't have enough FP, it will just drain however much you have. And, like, as long as there's more than zero, you still get the full effect. So, like, a lot of, like, melee players will have the benefit of being able to like infuse a shield with like an infusement that allows you to very very slow like once every four seconds you regain one, one fp which <laughs> sounds useless except for the fact that oh as long as you have one you can d do it nice yeah the weapon skills is a nice uh new feature that i really like yeah i like them a lot in principle but i've I've almost never used them, and that's partially because, like, I've just been using the same weapon the entire game. Yeah. Like, I got the Uchigatana at the beginning, and then I just, like, I dex-infused that, and then never really had cause oh, for nice. another one. Well, it was cool, because there was some uh, anime I saw with, like, a staff that would release poison gas, and they actually dropped yeah. it, and it had that exact skill, which was pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, uh, if you... There's a certain... There's a certain kind of animation that you'll see enemies do where they're like, they're, if their weapon has like a trail behind it when they do an attack, that's because they're using their weapon art and it will always have that weapon art. Which is really neat. Like, you'll see an enemy do something and you'll, like, there's no question, can I do that? Yes, you can. Nice. So, that's neat. Also, uh, the twin, uh, the, uh, like, Dual wielder that the game starts you with those those are not great at low level and their, their weapon skill is garbage because it requires you to be right on top of to hit anything. <laughs> not good. I keep wanting I keep wanting a Dark Souls game to give me a reason to dual wield and there's they've always let you do it and never found a reason to make you. Yeah. Someday maybe. Maybe. Probably not. Yeah, probably. Like they like. Let's be honest. The, the big news that I'm kind of surprised was considered big news because he did talk to Miyazaki's been saying this since before the game came out is we're not working on another Dark Souls related project. We are working on a new IP. And, and it's like, 
he was saying since long before the game came out, we're taking a break from Dark Souls for a long time after this. And now that the game is out, people seem surprised by this. <laughs> My God, they're doing what they said they were going to do. How dare they? One gets the sense that Miyazaki doesn't want to be pigeonholed into doing this for the rest of his life, so I can't really blame him. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, yeah. Make Have him go do an Armored Core game, that'd be cool. He he's met like that was actually brought up in one of the interviews that's been circulating is that like he like people ask is is there going to be another armored core and he's like well that is what I got my start at the company doing so you know maybe I'd kind of like to see it happen but the big problem you're running into is that from software has about 200 employees and that's about enough for one AAA project <laughs> like the only reason that Dark Souls 3 was able to follow so quickly after Bloodborne was because Dark Souls 3 uh, because Bloodborne was being like half developed by Sony's Japan studio which would have provided a lot of blood to just make stuff yeah <laughs> so like I, I would expect their output to considerably slow down unless they get an out like a situation like that where, where there is someone else to be overseen by someone like Miyazaki We'll see what happens. Yeah, I want like make, they said they're making a new IP, so hey, make something about robots, please. I like robots. Yeah, no, that's their bread and butter. Or was for I've been playing a lot of a long time. No, no. Listen, I've been playing. I've been playing Super Robot Wars games that are almost old enough to drink at this point. <laughs> Like I was, I, I booted up uh, Super Robot 64 a few days ago on a lark. It's like, oh, this is one of the only two games that has Giant Robo the Day of the Year. It stood still. That's a good over. Yeah, I want to see that in a game. And then, like, I, I was playing that, and I'm like, wow, this is surprisingly good. Especially given that the previous one that I played from that era, Third Super Robot Wars from the, for the Super NES from like 1994, is complete tar- complete garbage, <laughs> like a total tire fire. So like. I, was, I decided to check last night its immediate predecessor, like the the immediate previous new Super Robot Wars game that had been made just before Super Robot Wars 64. So I, I booted up Shin Super Robot Wars for the PlayStation, and that is a complete tire fire. That game is super terrible. Wow. But yeah, I, I can rant about that more later. Let's let's get on to an actual question. All right. So our first actual question is from False Logic, and it is: Is Stardew Valley an RPG? Yes. And yeah, yeah, that's about covers it. Yeah, like I mean, I consider Harvest Moon an RPG. Stardew Valley is just Harvest Moon. Pretty much. Or Story of Seasons, if you prefer. Bokujo Monogatari. <laughs> yeah, that about covers it. Was, it, was there more back <laughs> questions before I interrupt? Not really. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe at this point people have a confusion when there's no combat. Actually, does Stardew Valley have combat? Yeah, know. but Stardew Valley isn't completely bereft of combat either. I don't know. I know nothing about Stardew Valley other than it's Harvest Moon ish. I haven't, I haven't played it. It's basic, like what I've seen. It's Harvest Moon, like really, really Harvest Moon. Um, 
Like, I haven't played it because basically when I looked at it, I was like, hmm, I could buy this for PC and literally never play it, or I could wait and hope that it comes out on a handheld and play it a lot. <laughs> You'll never guess what decision I made. Um, but yeah, like, it, it looks charming and neat, and I want to get around to it. I'm kind of waiting for it to come out on, like, uh, you know, 3DS, Vita, uh, some new handheld that we have all been dreaming of. I don't know. But, like, because that's the only place I can realistically see myself playing it. <laughs> but it, I, I know that it, it has, like, combat in small doses in these, like, mines. And then, like, the rest is Harvest Moon, and I think of Harvest Moon as an RPG, so it's an RPG, man. All right. I'm sorry. That's okay. All right, what else does False Logic have to Well, now I'm going to start talking about Robot Wars again. No, hold so, on. So, Shin Super Robot well, Wars that, is like... Oh, hold, now, hold on. Awesomely yeah. hideous. Hold on. Hold hold the phone. I'm holding the phone. The phone has been hold, held. Has been holded? I don't know. I can't talk. False Logic has other questions. Uh, okay. Why is the only RPG that was coming out this year worth talking about now being delayed until next year? I no idea what he's talking about. We we actually spent a little while before the episode trying to figure out what he, he's probably like joking about. Like neither of us could make heads or tails of it. We we ping ponged around some ideas of things that had been recently delayed. When he asked this question, Zelda had not yet been delayed. Uh, Mass Effect Four. Or was realistically never ever coming out this year. Um, um, uh, Final Fantasy Fifteen Quest F- is coming out this year. <laughs> yeah, FF Fifteen is coming out this year. Was Dragon Quest Eleven realistically ever coming out this year? I don't think it's been officially delayed, but that's also because I don't think it ever had an official release date. I think it was supposed uh, to come out. Persona this year, Five, maybe I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like it. I feel like there was the assumption that it was coming out this year, but I don't feel like announced a release date for it Uh, Persona 5 hasn't had a release date announced it might slip into 2017 but I have no idea Um, like I went down like my list of every high profile RPG and there's a lot of them this year there's a lot a lot of them yeah Uh, and I couldn't come up with what he was talking about I'm sorry false logic I don't know Wheels, you should have tweeted back at him and said, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I think I did, and he never gave me an answer. Oh, well. Well, if he, did, if he didn't, well, then he can maybe clarify after the episode comes out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I, I, we went down the list. Wheels suggested it might be an indie RPG that neither of us has ever heard of, and I suppose that's possible, but those usually don't have strong release dates before a few months before they are coming out. Yeah. I don't know. I can't think of anything. So anyway, Shin Super Robot Wars is really ugly for some reason. Like <laughs> all the early Super Robot Wars games have basically no animation; they just have still sprites, and like that looks bad most of the time because, like, oh, it's they they don't move; they just sort of fly. Like it, th- like how good they look tends to be a question of how well the sprites themselves are posed and like how dynamic their artwork is. But Shins is, uh, they're, they're not SD like every other game in the series, and the fact that they don't move while not being SD somehow makes them more distractingly hideous looking. <laughs> it's also got really awful load times, like really awful. 
Really? It has to it has to load the start menu. <laughs> Alright, that's pretty bad. PS1 games from 1996. Yep. Don't play Shin Super Robot Wars. Okay, moving on. <laughs> like, I'm just going to interrupt any time like, I get to the end of a question and decide that I want to move on. I'm just going to start talking about Super Robot Wars. That's cool. That's cool. All right, what else do we got? Your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to give me as few excuses as possible to do this. <laughs> All right, we're going to take... We're, I'm going to take a brief musical interlude, and we'll be right back. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the you one, Dr. Everything will be all right. Okay, we're back with a question from, well, let's see, which one are we going to use here? From Shaman. Uh, he has just a few comments here. Depending on the date of the last report, it probably crawled there after heavy discounts. Okay, so he's talking about the Final Fantasy 13 numbers, sales numbers. Yeah, like, I I have no idea. Like, the, the numbers I always heard was that in its immediate sales boom, that most games do most of their sales and it did about 2 million units and I like I have no idea like where it got to 6 million it's bizarre to me <laughs> yeah cuz like most like that's that's kind of the big thing about AAA games is that like usually they sell a bunch of copies and then they stop selling for the most part so it's weird to think that Final Fantasy has a longer tail than usual yeah uh which I doubt is the case. I really don't think a lot of these sales were discounts, and I don't think it was really discounted as quickly as people seem to think, because I remember seeing it for near uh, near its starting price uh, for a good while after it first came out. As I recall, uh, it was it was it was discounted before thirteen two came out, but not long. So yeah. I think I think part of the big deal is that a lot of games after initial release they just sort of like after that initial release they don't stay in stock like whether they sold or not they don't keep manufacturing them. Yeah. Whereas I feel like there is the assumption that Final Fantasy can keep selling so they actually try to keep selling it. It's like Nintendo games where Nintendo like they don't even bother making sequels because the old one will continue to sell. Exactly. It'd be interesting to like see some numbers and like explanations for how all of that gets done because you know amateur prognostication can only get you so far. <laughs> um, let's see, I think that's all for there. Let's see what else they say. If Sony screws up and makes a third-party game free on PSN by some method, like say having a demo trigger cross-buy, how do they make the developer whole? Alternatively. Alternatively, does anyone know if Harmonix has a PayPal account so I can send them the seventy-five, the seventy percent for Amplitude? Um, I, I don't think that any of us will ever be privy to how you make good on a deal like that. Yeah, uh, I would imagine that there's pretty much no legal way that they couldn't ha wouldn't have to pay them something. But 
just from like the nature of like a screw up on our on their end can't like I can't imagine how those contracts are drawn up though. Yeah. Like it it, it it does bring up like the question that always is interesting to me is like what compensation do games get for being on something like PS Plus or Xbox Live Games with? Yeah. It's a good question. Which is also probably dependent on their degree of recentness and a whole number of random X factors we're not privy to. <laughs> but yeah, like like it's one of those things that like I'd be fascinated to see the answer to this question, but I don't think that any of us could guess it just from uh, intuition. Like logically, they probably have to pay them something because you know contracts and stuff. Yeah, like there has to be a certain and just the very nature of like getting sued into oblivion for essentially cheating companies out of money. Yeah. That. Or even just maintaining like proof that yes, we are a reasonable partner to work with that will not stiff you. <laughs> like even if they didn't legally have the obligation to, they would want to make sure that like it make it clear that no, you are not going to get stiffed for working with us. So Yeah, like, I'm sure that Harmonix would be happy to take your money, but I'm not sure how you'd go about getting it to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then we get to the next question Shaman had, which I find fascinating. Yes. Uh, So, there's a preservation effort in place for Fable Legends following the closure of Lionhead. What game do you wish was preserved before it's cancelled? Um... Not Fable Legends because it was kind of bad. Oh, did you play a demo then? Yeah, I got in on the uh, on the beta or whatever the hell they were calling it, and uh, was not not very impressed. I so. feel like that's kind of the problem you run into with canceled games is that usually, if you had had the chance to play them, you'd know why they weren't why they didn't come out. Yeah. Uh, I like mean, as a. I mean, I don't think Lionhead should have been closed by any, any it, means. It, it, yeah, it's terrible that all those people lost their jobs. Well, not just that, like, just it, it, they were a good developer. Uh, there was really no reason to close them just because he canceled that one game. It, it makes zero I don't, sense I don't to think me. that it was... I don't think... I think it was just a situation where, like... I feel like this, this is a situation where if Fable Legends had come out, they would have been canceled... They, it would have dis- dissolved the studio after it came out anyway. That's probably true. Like, this was a situation where they didn't want to hold on to the studio. Like, they didn't want to be tied up in its overhead. They didn't want to deal with that, at, like, dealing with that employment situation. So, win, lose, or draw, Lionhead was probably dead, a dead man walking before it died. Well, I guess Bungie got, uh, Bungie got out while the, the going was good. While the getting was good? Yeah. No, Bungie was always safe because Halo was always important but like this because it's like it's like how the developer like 343 industries and the developers of gears 4 are probably safe for at least the next decade probably like unless one or both franchises take a precipitous nosedive but like but yeah there's a lot of fascinating 
canceled games that like I feel like if they ever actually came out, they would be much less fun than the idea of them is. Yeah. Like there's amazing awful FMV horror show Duel and Fireman, which you can find a seven minutes of the footage that was to be used in it on YouTube, and it's terrible and fascinating. And I want to know what game would have gone with that. <laughs> but I also only kind of want to play it ironically. <laughs> <laughs> like, Duel and Fireman was about, like, dancing firemen, and it was an FMV game. Like, nothing good could have ever come from that, but I want to see it. <laughs> Even if it's just all of the raw footage for it. Like, what the hell was this going to be? It's full of weird people. <laughs> like, go look at this video on YouTube. It's bizarre. It's the fact that it existed as far as it did, like, that they had filmed all this footage of, like, random people. It would have been the first game that Tony Hawk was in. Really? Well, that's yes, just weird. Tony Hawk was in the FMV footage for this. <laughs> it's a bizarre-looking... Like, what? there's no gameplay in any of that footage, and it's not even clear how there would have been gameplay. <laughs> but it looks so terrible, and I want to see it. Uh, as for unironic picks, there was an interesting-looking Avengers game that looked like the weird hybrid love child of an action RPG and Left for Dead. <laughs> like, each player controlled an Avenger from the first-person perspective, and, like, they got points for doing, for, like, working together as a team properly, and it looked kind of neat. But that game, and was shockingly far along when it died it looks fascinating I would have been I would have been interested in trying that that one's also something you can find extensive footage of on the internet you got any wheels um trying to think nothing that can nothing that comes right to the top of my head yeah, like, I could see, like, you know, like, a lot of these games, like, people, there are crazy people that look for them, and I, and I say crazy in the most loving fashion yeah. possible. I was just watching uh, Frank Cifaldi's uh, Twitter feed as he was just going down, like, a pile of late 90s zip disks sent to magazines that were just full of fascinating, like, advertising material that were sent to game magazines, but, uh, and that man has, uh, probably done more to try to like work on like the story and like actual data preservation of games than just about anything and there's always random stuff being found like someone did a kickstarter to dump roms of socks the cat rocks the hill so <laughs> i mean never say never on some of these like socks the cat rocks the hill is going to come out like people are going to get hold of that rom and find out that it's garbage but like it's interesting because it was like it was a game about playing Bill Clinton's cat beating up, like, uh, frickin' uh, political characters from the 90s. And it got far enough in development that EGM ran a review of it. <laughs> but, like, it never came out, and, like, now that'll inevitably disseminate its way onto the internet, and it's kind of shady to sell ROMs of yeah. that, like... I think I've mentioned this before on the air, but, like, I, I, I feel like if you have, like, a copy of that one-of-a-kind game, it's kind of 
your duty to make sure that it doesn't stay the like that it doesn't disappear into the ether. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like a lot of these preservation efforts. Um, it's just, I think, in a lot of cases, understandably hard to care about all these games because some of them are just bad. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, I appreciate the, the effort. They're, they're they're fascinating. I want them to be kept alive. But the thing you have to remember is that usually, if something got canceled, there's probably a pretty decent reason why. Yeah. And that. Could be anything from the fact that it was nearly done in garbage, or it could just be that it wasn't done at all, and there was no, po- and it was assumed that there was no point in throwing good money after bad. Yeah, like you, you run into situations where it's like, oh, maybe the core tenets of this are just unworkable, or the amount of time and money it would take to make them workable could never be justified. Yeah, like if I'm going to be honest, like. I feel like that's probably if if it hadn't been announced to such fanfare. I feel like that's probably what would have happened to the last Guardian. Yeah. Like that's one of those things where a lot of times I feel like what keeps some of these projects going, even when they hit huge snags, is we already talked this up so much. But video game. And marketing hype machine, and throwing good money after bad. Yeah. I mean, and you know, and then you'll get something that just reemerges from development years and years later, like Neo, which was announced in two thousand four. <laughs> and suddenly, just came out, and now, and, well, not didn't just come out, but suddenly you can play it, and it's a Dark Souls knockoff. And I don't even say that to be derogatory. It's just it's a Dark Souls knockoff. <laughs> Just fine. I would. Yeah. I kind There's of expect nothing more wrong with that by now. Yeah. But like, it's it's Dark Souls with some light Ninja Gaiden slash Onimusha leavening. But yeah, like that, that's one of the other things that is fascinating, and like is a bit of preservation that isn't as like well known lauded as finding like versions of games from like early in development when they had completely different ideas about what the final game would be. Like, that 2004 version of Neo is probably very strange. Yeah. Or, like, uh, uh, the first three versions of Resident Evil 4 that aren't Devil May Cry. (laughs) Like, you know, there's a fascinating, like, I think the most well-known, like, prototype ROM dumps are, like, there's, like, five different ROMs from various points in Sonic 2's development. Like, people are just like, oh, they found, and they're disseminated all all over the internet, and, like, some of them have different things in them. People have used them to try to sort of chart when certain things were cut. Uh, But, like, most notoriously, like, that's where uh, there's an almost complete level in one of those earlier ROMs that often gets hacked back into it called Hidden Palace Zone. Oh, yeah, I remember hearing about that. Yeah. But, yeah, preservation's really interesting. There's a lot of different, like, avenues to it. Like, I think we talked about recently having, like, people trying to preserve, like, dead MMOs in a way. Like, there was a big dust-up about that because of WoW, so... That's right, they closed Video games are complicated. 
They closed down some. Closed down some. What we call it? Private server. It was a fan server that was running like vanilla WoW. Yeah. And yeah, like it was. It was strange to exist and like being custodian of something that like it's interesting when you get into a game that's that multiplayer focused how ephemeral the tr- what is the quote unquote true experience of it is like you get into something like that and like even if you played the game vanilla at home like on just like a home server so that you couldn't get it shut down you could never truly have the experience that you were that like the developers thought of you as having like yeah. you need thousands of other people playing with you in order to truly experience what the game was meant to be like in its heyday yeah and it's interesting, like, we don't think of games as being something that is, like, the, the true experience is something lost to time, but in some cases, for, like, truly multiplayer-focused games, it is. Like, if you aren't playing Destiny now, in five years, you won't be able to have the original Destiny experience. No. And even now, uh, can't experience some of the, like, PvP stuff from year one, when a lot of the guns were just totally broken. Yeah. So. It's, it's interesting to think about the parts of a game that are so ephemeral they aren't really in the game. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, anything else on that? Uh, no. Like it's it's a subject I always like going back to. So anyone that's got. Uh, questions anyone say, that's got more like preservation questions like feel free to ask them because I'm not an expert but I really like talking about it yeah it's a, it's a fun subject to dig into yeah next time we can talk about like another like a like cancelled PS2 weird no actual gameplay seems to have been implemented uh, crank the weasel <laughs> crank the weasel Okay. Yes, this was. Hmm. Yeah, it was. It was a kind of open level, like like open world platformer type deal. There was there apparently wasn't much game there. It was mostly just a game where you could do a bunch of things that the developers thought were funny, and it had like a styling of like a '30s cartoon. <laughs> Interesting. But it also had the invincibility power up, being that your weasel would have rabies. <laughs> and it would actually like uh. play yakety sad when you got rabies and everything would just run away from you. Nice. So that's always good. Is it... Is, is rabies good? Uh, well, it's good when, like, the game flashes rabies on the screen in blood. Okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> Crank the rabies all looked weird. Like, there's a lot of, like... No, no, there's a lot of like games that no one is ever going to find a copy of that got cancelled that no one even remembers like find me a person that knows what Rubu Tribe was <laughs> or Frame City Killer no clue you don't know what you don't know what Frame City Killer is no it was one of the first announced uh, 360 games I want to say it was from uh, Namco but then you get, like, nonsense, like, you know... Or, or speaking of cancelled Namco games, uh, First Strike, Grant City Anti-Crime, which was a spin-off to the long-forgotten Max Payne knockoff Dead to Rights franchise. 
That was a spinoff to... To what? Dead, uh, dead, dead to rights. The Max Payne knockoff Dead to rights. That was a knockoff of... I don't remember. Max Payne. Well, it had, like, mini games for every single level, so it was pretty easy to forget that primarily it was a Max Payne knockoff. <laughs> Weird. Like, oh, it's it's another level, now do sniper stages, now bomb defusal, now punching dudes in a prison, now dancing minigame. <laughs> All right. It's a weird uh, game. Oh, yeah. All right, so... Next question. Okay, uh, this one's from Budai. Uh, you want me to just soldier ahead? No, I got it. I got it. Let's see. What do you think of the idea of PS4 1.5? If even half of the rumors are true, it's an addle-headed idea for the... It's, it's the PSX of this generation. If anyone even remembers what the PSX is, I'll feel bad for them because they shouldn't, just like I shouldn't. PS... Was that like a PlayStation with a DVD player or something? No, the PSX was a PS2 with a DVR recorder in it. Okay. That sounds stupid. Like, there was, like, it only came out in Japan, as far as I know. Like, these sorts of, like, weird console variants come out occasionally. The big the thing that makes this one different is that, like, so you've, have you heard what the rumored specs for this thing are? No. Basically, like, it's got access to more of its RAM, and it has a slightly beefed-up CPU, and it's basically, like, apparently, specifically, you are not allowed to have features that are only available on the PS4.5, 4, 4. or whatever it ends up being called. You are not allowed to have any features that are only for the, up, uh, like, the updated version of this console. The most you can do is... You need to have, like, supports for 4K resolutions, and you may have a slightly higher frame rate. Hmm. And everything about that seems like such a... Like, it makes it sound like what they want to do is they want to sell a PS4 that is designed for 4K TVs, and I have no idea why the hell they think that that's going to be a large enough market sector fast enough for that to make sense. I mean, aren't 4K TVs still relatively new? Am I wrong? Yeah, a little bit. Like, the other thing is that, like... So who th- is I feel this like, for? <laughs> I feel like for the last ten years, TV manufacturers have been chasing the unicorn if they want something like HDTV where everyone had to upgrade en masse. Uh. Because, like, that would... Like, you know, this is all speculation. I haven't looked at sales numbers, but that would have been probably, like, TV sales numbers you have... Like, you don't see normally. Like, just way more TVs sold than you ever would normally sell. Because it's like, you know, people usually, at least for years and years, back when everything was a CRT, it's like, when did you buy a new TV when the old one broke? When did the old one break? Like, 30 years after you bought it. Yeah. Like, back at a time when someone could be a freelance TV repairman. So, like... They're, like, you know, a few years back, the idea was, oh, we'll try to sell 3D TVs, and, like, no one in America really wanted that. Like, those yeah. things infamously haven't really gained traction here. So now the idea is more, 
or HD, but I don't feel like people are st they're still having trouble completely dislodging DVD as opposed to Blu-ray, and like you know, people don't seem too worried about like getting higher resolutions than what we already have. So I'm not sure how much market there is for just ultra ultra high resolution TVs. Yeah, I mean the DV as far as the DVD thing goes, you still see like. Uh... I'm buying like kids movies a lot of times they'll only ha only have the DVD in store and not even carry the Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, like Blu-rays, you know, mostly exist for like traditionally what they sell the most of I would imagine are summer blockbusters. And like I just I just it's hard for me to really justify the idea that like this is going to be something that is significantly significant enough a change to actually see like to see mass adoption yeah Let's see like i guess you can get really cheap uh uhd tvs but they don't like i'm looking at these and like the cheap ones don't actually go to quote unquote 4k resolutions even though like 4K UHD are considered to be this, are treated as though they're a synonym. Like this cheap one, like I Google 4K TV, and like the cheapest one I see is like Walmart, $230 LED, uh, LED uh, UHD TV that goes to 2160p. Which is, uh, you'll note, not 4K in the slightest. Uh, <laughs> I do like how it, uh, this. Google result is giving me the most expensive and least expensive options because this 85 inch uh, Samsung 4K UHD TV uh, smart TV is forty thousand dollars. <laughs> wow, which is probably the upper end on how much they can cost. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> like, I can't imagine being the sort of human being that can spend as much as many people may in a year on a TV. <laughs> uh, yeah, like... Everything about this screams, like... an attempt to... Like, a part of me wonders if it's an attempt to prop up Sony's TV division, which has been hemorrhaging money for, like, a decade at this point. Like, maybe the idea is, like, put out the 4K TVs that work with the PS4 and a half and use the demand for the PS4 and a half to sell 4K TVs and hope to get, like, a loop going on there. Yeah. But that's, like, such a risky move for so little, like, such a rare fleeting chance of success. Like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, like, there is, like, a hunger for Ultra HD content that I just don't know about. But I can't imagine it. And at least not outside of like a highly specialized, super expensive like, market. It, it, it seems like the ultimate like rich kids play thing. Yeah. Like if I had so much money to burn, like that a few thousand dollars on a brand new TV didn't seem like the most ridiculous choice I could make. <laughs> like then sure maybe I'd go for it, but like it's it's bizarre to me that like. I just, I can't see a path, like, and th this is like a best case scenario, because the other options are completely splitting the user base. Yeah. Like, if we were to presume that the rumors that we've all heard aren't true, 
and that this is actually a spec update that like games will be forced to be compat that like certain games literally won't run on the old one it's like who's going to make games for that like the whole point of consoles is having the unified like okay everyone in the user base can play this yeah and combine combine such a thing with the existence of VR so like imagine imagine the single solitary crazy studio that makes something that only runs on a PS4 and a half with uh, with PlayStation VR. <laughs> oh. And imagine how quickly and tragically that company goes out of business. Rip. Like the the rumors I heard was that like if something was going to be VR, it had to work in both uh like base PS4 and PS4 and a half. So if like that's the case, it's at least not a huge huge new vector splitting the user base but it's still a situation of like you really can't like design a game with that version in mind because like designing with that version in mind means trashing the majority of the user base yeah so it seems like the only option for what games can support this are games that are designed around it like like the only option for games that can support this are like the only option to support this new object would be to make games that run at stupendously high resolutions, and I just feel like that's going to have really diminishing returns. Yeah, I just I just can't see a scenario where this feels like a good idea. Nope. Uh, yeah. We'll see, but I I, exp- I forgot what I was even going to say. <laughs> You're just too tired, man. This yeah. new sleep schedule is kicking your ass. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, they've had trouble getting the PS4 to have traction in like Japan. This can't really be an attempt to recapture the home market. They seem to have just given up. Yeah. So, I've got no guesses. Yeah, me neither. Okay. And it, it seems like. It seems like something like the PSX, where it's like them overestimating the size of a possible emerging market, and what you will end up with is something that, like, a handful of games will support, and that nothing will really come up in the long term. (laughs) But hey, it's good, fun discussion material. (laughs) It mostly just makes me sad, because it's like, guys, don't. Don't. Just don't. Like, not again. I can't imagine that there's a lot of developers that are really, really psyched about the idea of having like a slightly better processor so that they can spend a bunch of time optimizing for like five more resolutions. Yeah. Are you Hearthstone? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. I hear you clicking furiously. I could be clicking anything. And yet. So, Super Robot Wars 64 is pretty good, but it does join one of my favorite uh, clubs, which is games where an entire stat just doesn't work. Woohoo! I love those. Like, oh, here, this stat that is on your stat screen and that you can make go up, well, it doesn't matter, because it's never factored into a single calculation in the entire game. <laughs> in this case, it's a stat that's terrible, and most of the later games actually don't have this stat, so the fact that it doesn't work actually makes the game better. That's funny. It's called Limit, and it's supposed to represent the idea that a robot can be garbage at, uh, can be less 
like that a pilot can be too adept at piloting for their robot to match and so the idea is that if you get a pilot that's really good at dodging things and you put them in a machine with low limit they're not going to be able to dodge things because that machine is going to not be able to keep up with them <laughs> but the limit set doesn't work so, so it never actually puts a proper cap on the combination of the pilot's evade and the robot's evade so like your pilot so a pilot's ability to evade is always a function of what is the robot's evade plus the pilot's evade with no limiting factor nice but really not nice. <laughs> it's ridiculous. No, it's it's much better that it doesn't work. <laughs> like, as someone who is enjoying playing the game, it plays as much more like a super robot, a modern super robot wars, just for this one error. Nice. But continuing on. Continue on. I think we have one more question. Maybe. Oh no, we have. To. Oh, we have two. Okay, what game? What, die. what games have your favorite box art? How about worst box art? I believe those are the same question. <laughs> are they? Uh, to, to me, because I really love bad box art. No, that's true. I mean, like you've got infamous stuff like like random hillbilly playing a banjo in front of a space shooter for like phalanx and that sort of thing. But, like, if we're going to limit ourselves to things that aren't inherently infamous, uh, Disaster Report and Raw Danger both have awful box art of ugly people doing nothing. Zombie U has pretty Uh, terrible box art. Listen, that is the most British zombie outbreak imaginable, and that (laughs) that box art (laughs) represents it perfectly. Uh, It's still kind of bad. It's bad, but I love it. Um... Oh man, I'm just like I'm remembering like all the old bad box art that I love, and like I I don't want to use that because it's kind of cheating. Because it's like oh everyone's heard about that bad box art, but it's amazing and it's terrible and I love it. Uh, so I'm trying to think of actual good box art. And Chrono Trigger. Frick. Yeah, Chrono Trigger has a really nice piece. Uh, the recent drag. Quest games all have really nice, like, Toriyama artwork on them as well. Yeah. Basically anything from 8 on has really nice Toriyama artwork. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of those where it's just like, oh, this is a really nice piece of art from the game's illustrator. I appreciate this. Um, oh, one of my favorite terrible box arts is the Yakuza 3 box art, which is half of Kazuma's constipated-looking face. <laughs> That's pretty good. Nice. Like he looks—he looks like he's had a bad time in the bathroom. It's, it's good. Um, I'm trying to just think. Uh, the, the, I appreciate the, the amount of like I—I I, I do actually like the Dark Souls three box art. Yeah, it's, it's pretty it's nice actually. Song. And the uh, steel book for that is fantastic. I think I can't really describe it. You'll have to definitely recommend people look yeah, it up. But it's really, really nice. Uh, the uh, Metal Gear Solid Five Ground Zeroes on its inverse face 
had Yoji Shinkawa artwork that was really nice of uh, Big Boss, so that was worth seeing. Nice. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting because they actually had like, like they had the normal like here's a grumpy fa- uh, man's face rendered in stunning HD on the regular thing, but if you it had a reversible cover art where nice. uh, if you pulled the slip cover out and turned it inside out, you would get the nice Shinkawa artwork. Very nice. Uh, yeah, I, I've known people to get really, really like up in arms about what is good and bad box art. Like I've known people that get like really upset about generic box art that's just like a couple of characters on the box. And I always sort of scoff at that because like most of the games they're complaining don't have heavily symbolic box art are also games that are heavily character driven so putting characters on them makes sense yeah but yeah uh, uh, but yeah so you know those are those are a few of my favorites that aren't just generic like ha 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 look at this carnage rally box art <laughs> if you've never seen the carnage rally box art go look at that because it had like one of my favorite dumb internet like dumb fights ever was over the Carnage Riley box art, which is like the old EGM Don Baby article, where he looked at the box art and refused to play the game and thus reviewed the box art. <laughs> That's amazing. And then, like, yeah, it would, everything about that Carnage Riley slap fight is amazing. Well, the Phalanx box art is still the worst, best box art. Phalanx's box art is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Like I remember, I th- like the, you expect that guy to be playing the theme from Deliverance, and apparently the game's a space shooter. <laughs> it is. I think pretty sure my parents actually bought me that. Either that or I picked it up from Texas <laughs> or something. But I, had... I presume it didn't come in the box. It did. It did. Oh. And it was, it was like. Oh, I hope you still had it. No, I don't. I don't. Oh, that's Sadly. terrible. Yeah. Oh. But I remember looking at it and being like, "What?" What game is this? What is this? What the hell? Uh, that's beautiful. That's fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, that always ends up on worst box art lists, and it's amazing. One of my other favorite, like, no one cared at all box arts is Super Bust a Move for PS2, <laughs> which is a baby blowing spit bubbles wearing sunglasses that have Super Bust a Move screenshots in them. <laughs> And it's just like, why? <laughs> In what universe? With this, you're like, yeah, this will draw attention. People love this. Also, I don't care what anyone says. The American eco box art is hilarious. I don't know if I've even seen that. That one was real infamous back in the day because people blamed, like, oh, the game didn't sell well because the box art sucked. And the box art did suck, but I feel like the good, good box art that Europe got wasn't going to sell either. <laughs> because, like, it's really nice art, but no one was going to... Uh, no one in North America was really destined to grab that off the shelf. Oh, yeah, there's a here's a comparison shot on, that I just Googled up that will show you the differences. Uh, boop, boop, boop. Uh, 
left North American, East, uh, right European. Wow, that American box art is trash. It's so bad, and I love it. <laughs> like that box art is terrible, and I love every single thing about it. Oh man, the early PS2 has a lot of like really bad. Why did you do this box art? <laughs> I'm not even sure why. I feel like it's because they had more box real estate to deal with than they were used to. So it's like they started making larger bad boxes. <laughs> Good stuff. Love it. But yeah, I presume we're tapped out on good box art stories. We are, unfortunately. Uh... I remember looking at the box art for Oni, Bungie's last game they made before being fully eaten by Microsoft. It was a Rockstar punched action game for the early PS2 that sucks ass, but the box art looks like someone's Ghost in the Shell fan art. Yeah, that game isn't that good, and I think it was, was kind of rushed out, too. Oh, yeah, I get there the was... sense that like the game was probably not really completely done, but like the buyout was just about gone through and they had to deliver something to the publisher. Yeah, it was a weird time where... Um, uh, I forget the publisher they had to deal with. There's a lot of random the, shit going The game on. was published by Rockstar. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that game's super bad. Don't play Oni, by the way. Yeah. It looks and plays like someone's Ghost in the Shell. Hard. Yeah. Not good. Not good. <laughs> Yeah, don't play it, don't play it. Uh, yeah, that's that's it for box art. It's next mission. We've got one more question from Mr. Budai. Uh, we do, and it is, have you ever experienced cheating in an online game? Um, yes. Probably at least once. Yeah. I can't remember specifically. I can't remember when. Like, I'm sure it's happened. But I just, like... Uh, I also don't play much on PC, where ch cheating tends to get really, really bad. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I have, and specifically on PC, playing first-person shooters, because there are a lot of those where uh, cheating was pretty rampant at times. Yeah, ball hacking and aimbots. Actually, I have, uh, I have seen it in... I'm trying to remember which Halo. I think it may have been Halo 2. I did experience cheating. Yeah, yeah I know that, like, because because a, a console's firmware update and game patching weren't really things you could do uh, to any real degree at the time, you uh, tended to see, like, cheating real bad. I've heard that, uh, of all things, Team Fortress 2 on Xbox 360's cheating got real bad after a while. Yeah, and that was apparently because they just stopped updating it. <laughs> and so, like, because, like, Microsoft's asinine system for 360 was, like, you could only patch it so many times before you had to start paying fees as, like, punishment for not testing your game well enough. Yeah. So after a while, Valve just stopped updating that version. And so, like, that version got really prone to really bad cheating, apparently. As well as missing out on every piece of updated content from the last five years. <laughs> God, the 
that game's been out for 10 years now, by the way. It's crazy. <sighs> but yeah. Um, I'm sure I've experienced it at some point. I'm trying to, like... I can't imagine there's much obvious destiny cheating, which seems like something that people would have cause to attempt, but probably would never actually succeed at. Uh, yeah, I think it's just, uh, I think some people mess around with like lag. Uh, yeah, like attempts to deliberately induce lag in ways that would be advantageous, but that's so difficult to actually do that I can't imagine that it's that prevalent. Yeah, not not that I've really seen. Like more often than not, the problems I'll have with online is, oh no, the game turned into a slideshow and suddenly I got backstabbed by an invader. Yeah. Like I think uh, right. most of the time when I'm seeing quote unquote cheaters in Destiny, it's just because they're kicking my ass and screw them. <clears throat> yeah. No, they, they like if they're if they're beating you, they're probably cheating. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. I mean, I mean, you're you're an a number one true gamer that never loses. So, like, if you lost, it's important to send an awful, hateful message to them about how they are cheaters, and also don't play with honor. That's true. You ever gotten a you ever gotten an angry Dark Souls message from someone that's like, "Hey, hey, I invaded you. You're not supposed to use Estus." <laughs> I don't. Those, those I don't things. think so. But if I did, I would find that pretty funny. There, there's like people that get really upset about like this unspoken code of like this isn't how those work. This isn't how that works. That's upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, come on, dude. Then again, like half the time when I'm getting invaded in Dark Souls, it's because I, like, I actually hit a red, like, summoned them from a red summon sign. Because it's like this dude put it out there to like actually be like, hey, can I come fight you? So I'm not, I'm not gonna be like, hey, yeah, I'm gonna stack the deck against you. You, it's like, come on, dude, you you gave me fair warning, and I decided to let you in. Dark Souls. Yeah. Dark Souls. Dark Souls. Hey, you're not supposed to use Estus. That boggles my mind. Yeah, there's there's some people that get really like uppity about that. You invade you invade my world, and I'm supposed to follow some random rules? No, sir. <laughs> no, sir. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred souls. Well, that about wraps things up. Um. So, hey, Super Robot Wars 64, though. <laughs> no. So, you can send us questions uh, via wheels at rpgamer.com, uh, on the forums, which is what everyone seems to be using these days, uh, Twitter... Uh, that's where all the cool kids are. Aren't you a cool kid? That's true. Uh, Twitter, I'm AskWheels. Dave is at... Oh, God, is it Fanboy Master or The Fanboy Master? It's... Having a, it's Fanboy Master. There's no V there. Having a senior moment, even though I'm not a senior. It's because you're. It's because you're running on three hours of sleep. No, four. Four. I don't know. Math. Math is not important. 
I, I'm not sure I can... The math, the math is that. a lie. I cannot go along with this assertion. <laughs> oh, man, math. Well, I think I'm going to go and play my super secret review game, and you can go back to your Robot Wars... Listen, I've got a lot. I've got a lot of very important robots to do. I got to finish watching Turn A Gundam. I got to finish Super Robot Wars sixty four. Nice. Listen, I've got a lot of robotic irons in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> so many of them. Like, I need to understand. I've got access to series that I don't even want to watch, but like, I feel some sort of strange obligation to understand what the hell is going on in some of these games. Like, the more I the more I watch these shows, the more that a game not being translated is not as huge of an issue, because it's just like, oh, I can tell that the Gundam Wing plot is happening here. <laughs> like, I started up 64, and it, like, randomly flashed to all of the Wing characters, and I realized, oh, I know what this conversation is, because it happens at the end of Gundam Wing Episode 1, so that's what's happening here. And it's like, oh, okay, well then, I actually kind of know what's going on. <laughs> Interesting. It's terrible, and I'm terrible, and <laughs> don't watch most of these, because they're garbage. But Turn A Gundam is good, watch that. And also the uh, frickin' logo upsets wheels on a primal level. Which logo was this? This was the logo go with the upside down A. Oh! oh. <laughs> no! 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 It's not allowed. <laughs> it's not allowed. Listen, it's for all Gundams. Freaking upside down A. Who uses an upside down A? That's bullshit. It's a method medical symbol it means for all where this is the case I don't believe it <sighs> terrible <sighs> shaking my head in your general direction let's let's, let's just uh, uh, finish this out okay uh, and yeah that's that uh, we will see you next time that's a wrap that's a wrap. Peace out, folks.